From Booksmart Studios, this is Lexicon Valley, a podcast about language. I'm John McWhorter, and on this early summer episode, essentially, I would like to share something that I happen to have been listening to a lot lately, just as one listens to things. And it's a beautiful example of this language change that I'm always preaching about, and specifically how language change, i.e. what gets you from Old English to Middle English to what I'm speaking right now, always seems like chaos or junk or laziness or who to thunk it or what's going on with when you experience it within your own life. And what I want to look at is something that's going on with verbs and the past tense and past participles. Because what we're seeing is a real shift in the way English grammar works. And it all makes a certain kind of sense. This is how languages change all over the world all the time. But here, within our lives, seeing it happen, it just seems like there's some kind of flux, there's some kind of laziness, when really, this is what language is. What I mean is this. On the surface, it can seem like, well, you know, is it dived or is it dove? Why are people saying that the ship sunk? Actually, something pretty systematic is happening. It's happening in a flowchart kind of way. It's not just one thing. It's a basic thing, except if, and then except if. It's actually really neat. If this had happened 500 years ago, people would study it and we would see it as this interesting process that happened to the verbs. Experiencing it now, it seems like there's nowhere to grab on and there are these rules that we learn and then everybody's breaking them. Here's what I mean. There are verbs in English where you have three separate forms for the present, the past, and the participle. So, see, saw, seen. So I see right now, I saw yesterday, I have seen from the mountaintop or something like that. Drink. I drink water now. I drank water yesterday. I had drunk that water. Sing. Sang. Sung. Imagine if you were learning English and having to deal with those there. They're kind of hard. And things that are kind of hard are often fragile in language change. Because part of language change, not all of it, as we'll see, is that things get simpler. You kind of want to start shaving off the hard stuff. So what's going on in colloquial English is that there is a major impulse to, if there are these three forms, to substitute the participle form for the past as well. That's the general idea. What English wants to be is a language where you have a present form and then another form that you use for the past and the participle. That's the general tendency. It never actually happens. It's kind of a Sisyphean effort, but that's the tendency. So, for example, see, saw, seen. Notice that in English, as English kind of wants to be, seen is used as just the past too. And so, I seen it, you seen it. And we think of it as colloquial, sloppy, maybe modern, like something that's falling apart now. But no, actually, it's quite old. I am aware of an example from a book from 1843. It's called High Life in New York. It's actually a woman is the character. Um, What voice should she have? All right. This is an old radio voice. I drunk it all at a couple of swallers. Arter I drunk one glass, I begun to feel as spry as a cricket. That is my attempt to do Barbara Jo Allen, her Vera Vague character on Bob Hope's radio show. I drunk it all at a couple of swallers. So I drunk it all. She's supposed to be a colloquial kind of person, but notice this had already happened then. And then, arter, I drunk one glass. Arter, for the record, is after 
That is a dialectal form of after that comes from England. And it's actually something that makes a lot of sense. Here's a a quick sideline. Jack and Jill went up the hill to fetch a pail of water. Jack came down and broke his crown, and Jill came tumbling after. Is that really the best they could do? Well, no. Just because it was a long time ago doesn't mean people didn't know how to rhyme. Rather, it was Jack and Jill went up the hill to fetch a pail of water. Jack fell down and broke his crown, and Jill came tumbling arter. And, of course, you know, British accent, water, arter. And so it did rhyme. And it came here, and it's common in early colloquial American English and also in the South and among black people. Actually, Jim in Huckleberry Finn uses arter. So, arter, I drunk one glass. And then notice she says, I begun to feel as spry as a cricket. That's not caricature for her to say begun, because this is what you would expect. And so she's not thinking of it this way, but she wants to use the participle for the past. Not the past for the participle, the participle for the past. That is what the language kind of wants to be. And so I begin, I began, yesterday I had begun. And this is not only this person in 1843. You can go to, actually come to think of it, roughly 1953. This is Mae Barnes, who is one of my favorite singers of this time. She didn't record that much, but when she did, she was very charming. She was a black woman. A lot of her career took place in Greenwich Village in New York City. This is a song she recorded called I Raided the Joint, one of my favorites. And just listen to what the lyric is in the beginning. Party just to have a little fun. Yes, I went to the party just to have a little fun. When the joint started jumping, that's when the fight begun. It begun. So, same thing as this woman in 1843. Or think about bring, brought. Brung. You ever heard anybody use that? It's modeled on sing because sing sang sung, so shouldn't it be bring, brang, brung? Brung, I always think actually, this will surprise you, of a Looney Tune. It's called You Were Never Duckier. This is 1948. This is the rather uninteresting character of Henry Hawk. He's supposed to be a chicken hawk, and Mel Blanc just does this boring kind of vernacular, New Yorkish voice. But listen to what he says instead of brought. Hey, Pa, look at what I brung you. Look at what I brung you. A chicken. And what a chicken, brother. Get a load of this gorgeous plumage. Feast your eyes on this upstanding comb. Look what I brung you. Look what I brung you. And it's not just the Looney Tunes writers making something up because that brung really gets around. I'm told that in sports, there's an expression, dance with the one who brung you. So you got to dance with the one who brung you or something. And that's brung once again. And on brang, bring, brought, brought. That's what it's supposed to be. You know, I say brang. I don't say brought for that. I, I know of it intellectually, but sing, sang, sung, I brang it over there. I don't know if I would say it if I was on NPR or something, but I don't say I brought the chair across the room. I say I brang it across the room, and I feel quite good about that. That is a typical kind of thing because these forms are always changing. They're always in flux. There's no one way. One of the weirdest things is to read Bishop Robert Loth's grammar of the English language, the most influential one of these. There were some attempts before, but his really got around 1762. And here is this proper gentleman, you know, after a while, he's going to be elected to be the Archbishop of Canterbury, and he knows lots of languages. 
And when he lays down what the proper past forms are, some of them are so weird that they're almost funny. And so creep, right, in the present. Well, the past tense of creep for him is crope. Well, no, sorry. Or help. But yesterday, I had hoping somebody. These things are normal to him. You get a sense of it. You would go back to 1762, and maybe things wouldn't seem quite as different as we expect, except that you know everybody would smell a little different and everybody died at 16. But weirdly, every now and then, somebody in society would use a past form where you'd think that maybe they were having a little stroke. But no, these things are always changing. Or sunk. This idea that sunk is the past tense, and so the language wants it to be sink, sunk, sunk, instead of sink, sank, sunk. That, I think, is pretty much a finished thing in the modern language, even among educated people. I hear uh, sunk in the past practically once a week. And, you know, once again, you're thinking, well, you know, something happened to education in the 1960s, and everything's just falling apart now. But there is an interesting comic panel that I'm aware of. It's people who are in a blimp, and they're looking at New York City's location. The little caption is, that depression down there is where New York City stood. But with all its skyscrapers and underground tunnels, it suddenly sunk one day. And it's just supposed to be this ordinary person saying it. You know when that is? 1902. That is Life magazine, as it existed then, in 1902. So this stuff goes way back. I have wrote, I have rode. People are writing about that and complaining way back in the 1700s. Or another example, sneak. What are the past forms? So sneak, and then yesterday I sneaked, or is it that I snuck? Well, is it I have sneaked into? No, it's I have snuck. Without a doubt, I have snuck. Notice that if I ask, is it sneaked or is it snuck? Really, you almost feel like it's neither. There's no way to decide. Both of them feel a little funny. I snuck into the garage. I sneaked into the garage. I sneaked into the garage seems like you're forcing something. I snuck into the garage seems vaguely wrong. Now you know, though, why, if anything, if somebody wakes you up in the middle of the night, you probably, as a modern American speaker, you're going to choose snuck. It's because it's the past participle. So you have this general push to have not three forms, but two. The language feels like three is just too many. And so it wants to be what you can think of as something more elegant, more streamlined, just two. But there's a kind of caveat. And that is, and of course, nobody walks around thinking about this, which is why it's so much fun. So much can happen subconsciously. Such order amidst the chaos, as linguists are always looking for. If that participle ends in en, if there's one of these given forms, then it's not the participle, but the past that gets used. So if you've got the un, then it's the past that's used for the participle rather than the other way around. So for example, take, took, taken. Well, nobody says, oh, I taken my medicine yesterday. That's not the way it goes. Rather, it's took that gets spread over to the right, so to speak, and becomes the participle. And so you got took. 1956, most happy fella. The unfortunate title of a really gorgeous semi-opera written by the same guy who did Guys and Dolls. And it's this beautiful Napa Valley opera story. And at one point, early in it, actually, we have the singer Susan Johnson portraying a salty, jolly kind of waitress. 
she uses took in the participial sense, and so I'm going to play a clip here. The other person is a waitress, too. This is a really nice sequence. I guess I've helped a few fellas prove they were fellas, but they were guys I liked, and they thought I was something special. I know how it is. And they ask me nice. Don't tell me I know how it is. But when you're just 27 in his book, getting took out, is much more like getting took. Or think about spoke. And so, speak, spoke, spoken. Now, some of you are probably aware of the magnificent, magnificent book that is often titled English as She Has Spoke, which is this poor Portuguese guy who was unfortunately both diligent and an idiot who writes this whole guide to the English language, clearly not knowing how to speak, (laughs) write, or even read the English language. And one of the phrases in it is that this is supposed to be English as she has spoke, not some other kind of English. That's a mistake, but it's a mistake, quote-unquote, that native speakers actually make. I heard somebody on the radio somewhere, and now I can't find it, but if I may ask you to just trust me, somebody talked about, well, first he had spoke about immigration. And this was somebody who was, you know, quite educated. This was somebody who almost certainly had two higher degrees. And first, he had spoke about immigration. It went really quickly. Or something online, there's a Presbyterian sermon, and it's written out. And at one point, it says, James gives two more examples of patience. First, he had spoke of the farmer. Now, he speaks first of the prophets, and then of a particular person, Job. And notice, this is written. So this is somebody who writes it down, and he had spoke. It's because it's fluttering. There are people to whom I have spoke, especially in running speech or in what you might call running writing sounds normal. And that's because we have this idea. We don't want there to be three. But if it's spoken, then that's not the one that you choose. Instead, you choose the shorter one. And so the past one moves into the participial slot. Another example. This is a cute one, and it's a little fuzzy around the edges, but it's still illustrative. My younger daughter recently talked about how something shrunk rather than that it shrank. Now, technically, it's shrink, shrank, and then shrunken, at least so it's said. However, she wasn't thinking about that. What she was thinking subconsciously was that it should be like drink, drank, drunk, which you use all the time. Shrinking is not as common. And so she's thinking the form is shrunk. And so here it seems like an exception because it seems like shrunken is being pulled into the past slot. But no, she thinks it's shrunk. And so she thinks it's like the regular cases like this that we've seen, such as see, saw, and seen. She grabs the shrunk and makes it the past form. And I'm sure if I listened to her closely, she would probably use drunk in the past as well. And see, she's just an innocent child. How can you revile language change when it's like that? And by the way, if you want a bonus segment about this systemic verbal collapse, if you want more about it, some cute little examples, then you know you you have to subscribe. You go to booksmartstudios.org and you click on Lexicon Valley, and then you get a kind of a tag, like in old sitcoms. You get a little bit more, generally about five or six minutes, sometimes with you know the silly musical clips, etc. If you want to hear the whole thing, then just go to booksmartstudios.org and you will have completion. So what's going on here is something larger than just these arbitrary rules. It is a general thing about English that we seem to not want 
to have these three variant forms. We seem to not want to have this participial ending. There's a movement against it. And the reason for that is that English is, as a Germanic language goes, or an Indo-European language goes, very poor on suffixes. And it means that in speaking this language, there is a tendency to want to kind of push them aside where they take any kind of processing work, even if you're a native speaker. Now, this sort of thing is happening much less in a language like, for example, German or Polish or the like. But English doesn't like endings that much. This starts with what the Vikings did to English when they came to England starting in 787 AD. I'm beginning to think that the Celts actually, who started learning the language when it was brought to the island many centuries before that, they had a good deal to do with it as well. I used to say it was only the Vikings. It would have been the Celts as well. But English was brought over as Old English, which had really many more endings than it needed. And next thing you knew, and it really didn't take all that long, you have something like what I'm speaking now. And that's because adults learned it. And the endings are hard to learn if you're over a certain age, roughly 14 or 15. And so off they go. I'm getting this from a really good book that actually bothers me a little bit in that it's all about some things I have written and thought a lot about. And yet the author almost never cites me. And when he does, it's actually wrong. But then my sweetie tells me that the reason for that is that I don't cite him enough. So, okay. And it's not only the past forms, it's also with other little things. And so, for example, Billy and me went to the store. Everybody thinks that's so terrible. But, you know, Billy and me actually makes a kind of sense in terms of how English works. When English was a heavy ending language, English behaved like Latin, like Russian, and kept its pronouns tidally divided between subject and object. That was the kind of language it was. And so, Billy and I went to the store. That's the sort of thing that you see in Shakespeare, etc. People start complaining about people saying Billy and me in the 1700s, which means that it would have probably been happening in the 1600s hundreds too. And it's not an accident that it happens in exactly the time when English starts losing its last endings and going down to, for example, in verbs only having third person singular s instead of having the st, so thou goest, no more of that. And all vestiges of case marking are completely gone. A language that doesn't have things like that tends to let go of being so picky about subjects and objects with pronouns. And you end up developing a whole new system that's about something different. That's why Billy and Me happened. It wasn't that suddenly people got sloppy in about 1650. It's that English became more like, say, French, where to say Billy and Me, except of course in French, has been okay for a very, very long time. That's because French, too, if you think about the spoken language rather than the ridiculous way that it's written, no offense, French-speaking people, but I think you know what I mean. The spelling system is as conservative as English is, and so you have all these unpronounced endings. Spoken French is the least endinged romance language in existence, and it's why you have Guillaume et moi and not Guillaume et je. What I'm giving you here is a little preview of a book that you will probably be able to hold in your hands in, let's call it a year and change. That book is called Pronoun Trouble, and that's the one that I'm doing now. And one thing that I'm going to take by the horns in Pronoun Trouble, it's not going to be just a book about the new they. That's not a book. We're going to do I and me, and we're going to take this Billy and me thing 
by the horns. That's my preview of pronoun trouble. But in any case, generally make the participle the past and the participle form. If the participle is one of the ends, like spoken, then make the past form the form of both the past and the participle. Then, finally, there are some verbs where the participle doesn't end in what we spell as en, but just n. And in those cases, predictably, things are messy because it plays with us from both directions. And so what about do? Do, did, done. But done isn't doing. It's not like D-O-dash-E-N. And so it feels kind of like the spoken cases, but it isn't quite. So what you have is that sometimes do is acting normal. So like the first thing that we saw. And so done ends up being used in the past. And so one of Mae West's early films, actually only her early ones are the ones where she's so salty that you want to write a book about her. There are two, I'm No Angel and She Done Him Wrong. After that, the production code cossets her considerably. But in She Done Him Wrong, she's very naughty and done. So not she did him wrong, but she done him wrong. Or listen to an accurate rendition of Colloquial American in the musical Chicago. This is the Cell Block Tango. I use this song on this show a lot because the lyricist, Fred Ebb, the person who wrote the music is John Kander, who's still alive. He's like 206 years old and still working. Fred Ebb is no longer with us, but he wrote a good, accurate American vernacular, and this song is actually particularly good for it. Listen to Past Tense Done here. But then, on the other hand, did is sometimes spread into the participle instead. It's something that you hear around. I actually know it as a black expression. Somebody will say that they got their hair did. You know, it's not a joke. That's just what you say. Or you can get, for example, your nails did. And something that's adorable These new Mickey Mouse cartoons on the Disney Channel, I highly recommend them if you like Looney Tunes and if you enjoyed Ren and Stimpy. These new Disney Mickeys combine those two sensibilities. They are some of the best cartoon shorts ever produced in the United States or, frankly, anywhere. They get their jokes from all over the place. (laughs) At one point, Minnie Mouse actually says, I got my nail did, which I hear as them using a little bit of black slang for Minnie, although maybe I'm missing things that people say beyond black English. But, got my nails did. Listen, listen to this. Goodbye, Mickey. I'm borrowing your car to get my nails did. And then also, see, saw, Seen, but you don't think of seen as seen, although intellectually we can imagine. And so that one can be messy. You can say, I seen it, but then if you listen closely, you can also hear people saying, He had saw, for example. So I heard someone very educated, very well spoken, very nationally prominent. I'm not going to say who it was because I don't want to imply that I'm knocking this person, but this person was in in the chair getting made up for a TV show and Robin Williams had just died. He committed suicide and this person said if he had only saw how much people loved him. And that's just the the way it goes. That's what you would expect given how C works. So what we're seeing is, yes, a streamlining of the system. 
where somehow you're going to get two forms. Now, which of the two depends on what the shape of the forms are, but not three, but two. And it's easy to think, well, that just means that everything's getting simpler as always. But as I often say, if all languages did was get easier, then all languages would just be drooling at this point. There must be more to it than that. And the thing is that there are other things going on with these past forms that are making things more complicated. And you know, you hear them and you think of them as, oh, well, well, but then you know you have to hail a taxi or you have to make dinner or something like that. But they're not well, well. They're making the language more complicated. So, for example, wind, wound, right? Okay. Remember Blockbuster and you're supposed to rewind the tape? How often did you really say back then, oh, I just rewound it. So I didn't say that. I said I rewinded it. And a lot of people said rewinded it. And you still hear about rewinded. That's what people tend to use when you're talking about the specific action of hitting rewind or rewinding. Rewound is possible, but there's a sense that wind, you wind something, and yesterday you wound it. But then I'm rewinding the tape now, but I rewinded yesterday. That's okay. It's the same thing as the blissfully extinct invention, the Walkman. They were always breaking. The Lord knows you didn't want to take it to the beach because sand would get right in it and ruin it. But Walkman, nobody called three of those Walkmen. You said Walkmans. Now, that seems kind of ordinary to us, but imagine having to learn it. Imagine somebody asking, why isn't it Walkmen? Well, same thing with rewinded or overheard is you're at Starbucks and you are buying some coffee beans and the Starbucks person asks, do you want these grinded? And you think, well, no, it's supposed to be ground. Well, no, it's interesting. That person would surely say that you can buy a bag of coffee that's ground. You know, you have the choice. You know, it's ground and then grinded. But if the idea is, do you want me to grind this for you? Do you want it grinded? What's going on there is something that happens in a lot of areas of language. There is a difference between what's expected and what is relatively unexpected, what's counterintuitive, what's oh wow. So, for example, in the Creole language, Saramakan, that I'm always talking about, that's spoken in Suriname by descendants of slaves who escaped the plantations on the coast and now live their lives in the forest. It's a combination of English and Portuguese and the African languages Fon and Kikongo. And in Saramakan, there are dried fish. You can dry fish and, you know, eat fish. Quite delicious, I'm sure. And you can either say dry fish or dry dry fish, except in Saramakan. So defici or de defici. Dry dry fish doesn't mean that the fish is really, really dry. Dry fish means the kind of fish that you usually consume dried. Like in Scandinavia, I guess it would be herring or something like that, the kind that are usually brown. So dried fish. Dry dry fish is that fish got dried out. So you had mackerel and for some reason you put it on the windowsill and now it's all dried out and maybe you'll eat it but it's not supposed to be. That's dry dry fish. So there's a difference that you internalize if you speak the language between the expected and the unexpected. Ground and grinded is the same thing. Now of course the person saying this isn't thinking of it this way but ground coffee because that's probably the way most people buy it but then I'm going to pour beans into this device and I'm going to grind the beans. Do you want it grinded? Is that special thing something that you want? So that's a little something, and that's not 
wrong to say grinded any more than it's wrong to say dry, dry fish. It's an emergent kind of grammar. So things are getting more complicated on the side. It's the sort of thing that means that you know to say Walkmans instead of Walkman, or you knew to say, or that you know that you talk about the Festival of the Seven Fishes, but otherwise you talk about all the fish in the ocean, not the fishes in the ocean. Think about that sort of thing. Those are complications that you don't get taught as grammar in school. So, English wants to make a two-way distinction just between present and then past and participle. And the choice is determined by whether there's a little ending or not on the participle. And that's usually but not always clear. And if it isn't clear, then you get some flutter and some mess, which possibly in the future will settle into something for reasons that would partly be due to chance. That is how language changes. So what we hear as mess and mistakes is the language going from one state to another. And that's what's going on with what a lot of you often write to me about, the English past tense marking and why it seems so chaotic. It always has been, but the chaos now is trying to make English, frankly, a more learnable, streamlined, and cleaner system. And of course, there's nothing wrong with that. If you'd like to leave a comment or subscribe, please visit booksmartstudios.org. Our producer is, as always, the patient Mike Volo. Go to booksmartstudios at gmail.com also to leave me questions. So not only do you get a bonus segment if you subscribe, but I answer a couple of questions, sometimes three, in writing every two weeks. I love to have them. They keep me on my toes. But go to booksmartstudios at gmail.com in order to send them. Our theme music was created by Harvest Creative Services, always catchy. And I, less catchy, am John McWhorter. 